Well, good morning, and welcome this Lord's Day morning to Berean Baptist Church. Please take your Bibles and go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. While you're turning there, I'd like to read to you a quotation from the book Glory Filled the Land, uh, really a trilogy on the Welsh Revival of 1904 to 1905 by... by Elvit Lewis, G. Campbell Morgan, and Ivy Naprash. An excellent uh, three-book series on the Welsh Revival. It tells about Evan Roberts, the man who was used by the Spirit of God to bring 152,000 souls to the Lord during the six months of the Welsh Revival. It goes on to say the revival of the Wales was primarily a movement of prayer, and yet it was a church revival. On page 174 of Glory Filled the Land, it says, What was the character of this revival? It is a church revival. Uh, revival began among church members. And when it touches the outside man, it makes him into a church member at once. The church in Wales has enrolled during the last five weeks, and that was the five weeks when G. Campbell Morgan was there, 20,000 new members. It's a movement in the church and of the church. Now, along that same line, um, I, I noticed that when it talked about Evan Roberts, it said of the four guiding principles for the Welsh Revival, the most important was that the church must get right with God before unbelievers will be convicted. Getting right with God was the cornerstone of the whole Welsh revival. And I think of where we are in our country. No matter where you go, people are talking about one thing. You can be in the supermarket. If you strike up a conversation, you know what it's about. If you are at Ace Hardware, that would be of the five of you that are allowed in Ace Hardware at a time right now. You know what the conversation will be about if a conversation starts up. Everywhere people are talking about COVID-19. I want to tell you about a time in which in Wales, this is what G. Campbell Morgan said. The whole thing is of God. It is a visitation in which he is making man conscious of himself without any human agency. This revival is far more widespread than what they're calling the fire zone. In this sense, you may understand that the fire zone is where the meetings are actually held and where you feel the flame that burns. But even when you come out of it and go into railway trains or into a shop, a bank anywhere. Men everywhere are talking of God. Whether they obey or not is another matter. But there are thousands not yielded to the constraint of God, but God has given Wales in these days a new conviction and consciousness of himself. That is the profound thing and the underlying truth. G. Campbell Morgan visited this Welsh revival. Of course, he has his background in Wales, 
in his family heritage, so it was of special importance to him. But he came back to his home country aglow with what God was doing in Wales. And I love it that he said that wherever you went, everywhere men were talking of God. Would to God that in America, God would turn our hearts from going to, to talking about COVID-19 to talking about what God has done. This morning, God has burdened my heart to call our church to corporate prayer and fasting a week from today on Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday is the very cornerstone of our faith. Our whole faith stands upon the resurrected living Savior, Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that this coming Sunday. I want to urge you to follow along as we turn to a number of passages. But we're beginning in Second Chronicles chapter 20. A passage on prayer and fasting in Israel, really Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says in verse 1, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat, that's the godly king of Judah, against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be Hazaratan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, when thou wilt hear, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, here's his presentation, Behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them, for we have no might 
against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And I love it, all Judah, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. He says in verse 17, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord. And the Bible tells us there was a great victory where God did the fighting for them. All this as a result of a call to corporate prayer and fasting. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. They asked help of the Lord. They sought his face. Why is it that fasting is such a, a bygone Bible doctrine? It is for, it, it, fasting is something we think of that happened in the past, especially corporate fasting. Well, I believe that our popular culture, our generation, is not used to saying no to our flesh. We're a very self-centered generation. We're not much when it comes to self-denial. We're products of our age, of the last days that we live in. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And listen to the first characteristic of the last days generation. This first characteristic of our age. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Verse 4 says, We'll be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We are a lovers of our own selves culture. Fasting doesn't have much place. Self-denial doesn't find much of a welcome in a self-loving culture. Remember the old soda pop commercial that the slogan was, Obey your thirst. Oh, that about sums up our generation. Follow your appetite. Obey your thirst. There's a book I've just started reading called All God's Children and Blue Suede Shoes, Christians and Popular Culture, uh, with a new introduction by Ken Myers. And in the introduction, it says, Popular culture has changed the lives of modern people, and more importantly, it's changed the life of the church. He goes on to say, I remain persuaded that the challenge of living with popular culture may well be as serious for modern Christians as persecution and plagues were for the saints of earlier centuries. What's he saying? He's saying that, that popular culture draws us in. It just, it just soaks right into us. 
we're saturated so easily. It spreads like the plague. Uh, we're, we're pressured by our culture. He goes on and says, Living in the matrix of popular culture, we are encouraged to see ourselves as sovereign consumers who construct the meaning of our lives from our own free choices. By contrast, in the Christian view, the wisdom and meaning embedded in a cultural legacy that is faithfully transmitted from one generation to the next was an aid whereby we could be trained to discipline our desires and so be free from captivity to mere appetites. Wow. Ken Myers says that popular culture is all about expression and freedom of choice and doing what I want, but biblical culture has always been a faithful transmission from one generation to the next of training our desire, disciplining our desires so that we're free from the captivity of our appetites. This is He's hit it on the head. Our culture, we are, we are constrained by and held bondage by our own appetites. For this very reason, fasting does not find popular ground in the contemporary church. I want to point out what fasting is not before we get into our main points. Fasting is not a ritual or a tradition. It's not a ritual or tradition. The Pharisees had turned fasting into a ritual whereby they, they, they paraded it. They, they showed it off. They fasted, as the Pharisee said there in the temple when he was contrasting himself with the public. And I fast twice in the week was his pious claim. Uh, there, there was no command by God to fast. Um, this was voluntary. And yet they turned it into a, a tradition twice in the week. It's almost like religion today. I've got a very good friend in Hendersonville. He's Catholic. And i um, been trying to witness to him. Um, but I asked him about why he goes to Mass. He doesn't know. Oh, it's just, it's, call it mindless ritual. Just hope it helps. Hope it gets him to heaven. What's it all about? He doesn't know. This is This is sad. Of course, my question is, why do you do this? Because you have a conviction or because your parents went to Mass in the Catholic Church? It's because his parents did. You could ask a Hindu why they do what they do. You're probably going to get the answer because their parents did, their grandparents did. Mindless tradition. Fasting is not a mindless tradition. God has a purpose for fasting. To set ourselves apart from the distractions around us to seek God's face. And we'll go through a, a number of of reasons why we should in a few minutes. But it's not a ritual or tradition. Fasting is second. It's not a discipline or a diet. Now, there's over 30 examples in the Word of God of fasting. But it has, fasting has nothing to do with a diet or a health program. There is no diet in the Bible for our, for our dispensation. Um, all things are to be received with thanksgiving. Um, you may diet, but there's not a Bible diet for today. Fasting has nothing to do with diet. Fasting is about spiritual battling, spiritual warfare. We'll see that in a moment also. Fasting is not a ritual or tradition. Second, it's not a discipline or a diet. 
That's not the purpose. The purpose is not to lose weight. That's not biblical fasting. Third, fasting is not a vending machine, as some have put it. A vending machine, what do you do? You walk up, you put your you put your coins in, you put your cash in, you push the button and out something comes. And if it doesn't come, then you get angry and you kick the machine and you grab it and you tilt it and you shake it around until hopefully it shakes loose. No, you don't do this, but you're tempted to. Um, to make it come out. Well, the moment we say, because I've done this for you, God, I've fasted, then I get what I want. Well, that's all wrong. Remember David in first in Second Samuel 12 fasted and prayed that his baby wouldn't die. Did he get what he wanted? No. The baby died. Fasting is not a ritual tradition. It's not a discipline or a diet. It's not a vending machine approach to God where if you just do something, you'll get what you want. Fasting is time apart from something. Just a means of separating ourselves away from distractions to focus on our relationship with God. See, fasting is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Fasting is not the end. It's just a means of spending time away from something with our God. Number one, I want to point out that prayer and fasting are biblical weapons of our warfare. Biblical weapons of our warfare. Prayer and fasting are biblical weapons of our warfare. One man has said, A church without prayer is the army of God without weapons. Uh, very good. You know, in Ephesians 6, and I'd ask you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, you see the armor of God. And it's, uh, it's listed the armor of God, it says, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 11, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the armor of God is to keep us protected from satanic attack. Verse 12, the next verse, Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. You look at through the weapons, the final weapon, the culminating weapon is actually two. We think of it as being the sword of the Spirit, but it's not the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17 and 18 are coupled together. I'd like you to look at it very closely. The Bible says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So important. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then there's a colon at the end of 17 that further explains praying always with all prayer and supplication. There he is again, in the Spirit. And and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. First, I want you to notice that the final and culminating weapon of the, of the whole armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is God's Spirit working through His Word in our lives as we pray always 
with all kinds of prayer. That would be prayer at home in our quiet time with God, prayer at the dinner table with our family, prayer as we walk throughout our day, as we drive down the road, prayer in our corporate assembly, prayer in our Wednesday night prayer meeting, all types of prayer and thanksgiving. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. The final weapon of our war prayer is is prayerful, Spirit-led interaction with God through His Word. This is a weapon of our warfare. I want you to see that not just prayer, but fasting is also part of our spiritual warfare. Some of the most important verses in the Bible are found in Matthew 17 when it comes to fasting. Matthew 17, 14, and you see again the battle between Satan and um, this matter of the importance of fasting and prayer. Matthew seventeen fourteen. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. This boy had been burnt, almost drowned probably, you're going to see in a minute, by satan, satanic forces, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. This was not just a medical problem. This was, this was Satan behind it. Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Verse 19, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast them out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place it shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out. What had just gone out? Well, there was a curing, a sickness that went out, but all it says was the child was cured. What went out from him, verse 18, was the devil. This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Again, prayer and fasting are biblical weapons of our warfare. Isn't it amazing that this very text, this kind goeth out by prayer and fasting, this was very much a part of the early church. You have Chrysostom, early church father in the 300s, spending time, much time, on Matthew 17, 21. You have Origen in the 200s after Christ, in the 200s, spending a lot of time on this text. And other church fathers, too. This text has always been important to the early church all the way down to today. And it is a key to spiritual warfare, prayer and fasting. You knew that, didn't you? That spending time in the Word of God in prayer is key to the believer's walk. Number two, not only is prayer and fasting are they biblical weapons of our warfare, but number two, fasting is not commanded, but it's expected and has a promised reward. Fasting is not commanded, but it is expected and has a promised reward. I find this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus told his disciples to be not as the hypocrites, how they have a sad countenance, disfigure their faces, and it says that they they fast that they may appear unto men to fast. They wanted to be impressive. 
But Jesus' instruction, verse six, verse 17, Matthew six seventeen. But thou, not if thou fastest, but when thou fastest. He expects it. When thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, reward thee openly shall reward thee openly. That is a promised reward. God has promised. Jesus said that his Father would reward openly fasting. This is something to remember. Number three, so let's give some Bible examples of fasting and prayer. Just run through several. Ezra, in Ezra chapter 8, Ezra sought permission from the king to return to the land. And he said that in verse number 21 of Ezra 8, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all of our substance. He goes on and says, he said he told the king that he has such a great God who is able to give them protection on the way back to their land. He says, so I was kind of embarrassed and ashamed to go ask the king for protection since I just told him my God was so great to protect me. He says, but then I thought of our little ones, and I thought, we better, we better fast and pray. Verse 22, for I was ashamed to inquire of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we'd spoken unto the king, saying, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Here's Ezra fasting and praying with the people of God for protection and safety. Nehemiah does the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 1 in the return to the land to build up the walls and the gates. Esther, a three-day fast with Mordecai and the Jewish people because she was going in to ask the king Ahasuerus to spare the Jews from the rich and wealthy Haman the Agagite, maybe the richest man in all of Persia at that time, certainly a demonically inspired anti-Semite who wanted the, the Jews destroyed. And so she called for three days of prayer and fasting that God rewarded. And God said he would reward them openly. And the church in Antioch in the New Testament. Acts chapter 13. I really love how Acts chapter 13 tells us that, that uh, as they ministered to the Lord, Acts 13.2, and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them forth. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. On their first missionary journey, it started, it came out of a prayer meeting with fasting that God selected these men and then they prayed and fasted more as they got ready to send them out. Again, there's many Bible examples. Paul said that he fasted often in 2 Corinthians 6. Paul and Barnabas are seen fasting in Acts 14. I'd like to point out number four. We've seen so far, number one, that prayer and fasting are biblical weapons of our warfare. Second, that fasting is not commanded, but it is expected and has a promised reward. Third, Bible examples of fasting and prayer. Number four, what's the proper length of fasting? The proper length for fasting of time. Well, of course, that's not commanded. The Bible doesn't command fasting, so it doesn't command a certain amount of time. 
Um, some of you will remember that Moses fasted. Anyone remember how long Moses fasted? That's right, for 40 days. He did that twice. Jesus also fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. In chapter 10 of Daniel, you see Daniel fasting for 21 days. And I've already mentioned Esther and Mordecai and the Jews for three days. In the text we started out with, Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat and all the people of Judah gathered together with their little ones, their wives, and their children for one day. This is what we're calling our church to. Prayer and fasting. I'm not going to set a time limit on it. I'm going to ask God to work in your hearts to show you what to do. This was not something commanded in the Bible. This is only for those who who believe God wants them to. And of course, I know there might be some who are expecting mothers and they need to be careful. I would urge them to be careful and eat eat carefully. I'd also there are some that have that require more food just because of their body chemistry. They need the nutrition, and to miss a meal, they become very faint, very weak. And I understand that. God does too. He knows our frame that it's but dust. But types of fasting is what we want to look at next. Number five, what are the types of fasting? Well, fasting is a type of a sacrifice. And, of course, it's not, a, it's not an atoning sacrifice. Fasting never got anyone to heaven. Um, this is... In fact, the very man who said, I fast twice in the week, left the temple not justified. He was not going to heaven. Um, fasting is a sacrifice, but not doesn't save us. By the way, there's many sacrifices in the Bible that a believer can offer. There's the sacrifice of praise. Uh, Romans 12 says that we're pr- to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. But fasting, usually we think of sacrificing food. Um, food. And, um, but I want to point out that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, um, he fasted and fasted from pleasant bread uh, or juice. Pleasant bread. Now, what would you call pleasant bread in our day? Sweet bread? Sweet rolls? Um, some might say hamburgers. Yeah, I, I would say that sounds like a very pleasant food. Um, I enjoy hamburgers. They're a favorite in our family. Um, but how would you fast from pleasant foods? Maybe only eating what's enough for you, not having desserts, um, seeking God, and not not uh, eating, but just what's enough, just enough to live on. There's a type of fasting where a husband and wife, 1 Corinthians 7, they focus on the Lord and so they they keep apart from one, one another and, um, and, and practice abstinence. Uh, there is something I think every one of us fasts on a regular basis when it comes to, you might not think of this, but the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is a separate day. Don't we go to church typically when we're not under the COVID-19 mandate to stay home? Don't we... Isn't this a type of fasting? We're not able to stop everything and focus just on worshiping God and reading and studying the scriptures at church every day of the week. But we can do that on Sunday. Isn't it wonderful to have a Lord's Day when we can, we, we can fast from the normal labors of the week and just spend time with God or among God's people? He's in the midst of us where two or three gathered together 
It's spiritually healthy. The Lord's Day is a type of fast probably every one of you regularly is a part of. Uh, but usually we think of food. Jesus, uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and Satan comes and tempts him to turn stones into bread. And he, he, he answers that with Scripture, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's saying to Satan, there's something I'm more hungry for than natural bread. Food is good, but time with my Father is better. Though in the Word of God is better. And I want to, uh, number six, point out that not only are, are there different lengths of fasting and types of fasting, but what are good reasons to fast? Well, there's many, many books out there that can show you the best book is the Word of God. And if you were to take the Word of God and look up the word fast, fasted, fasting, you'd find that God's people often fasted when there was personal calamity or national calamity. Like in our text, when the enemies were come against Israel. In our text, it also mentioned that when evil comes upon us, or the sword, judgment, or pestilence, they would turn to God in fasting and prayer, and God promised to hear them. Second, not just personal or national calamity, but when there was wisdom or direction needed. Number three, when there was protection, maybe there was a foreseen danger like like Ezra, knowing that they were taking gold and silver back home to the temple and there were robbers along the way who could steal or harm their children. He cried out and fasted to God in prayer. Fourth, repentance over wickedness, maybe our country's wickedness, corporate church wickedness, personal wickedness, backslidings. We, we seek time with God in fasting and prayer confessing our nation's sin, number five, or having, if there's a special need of the people of God, number six. There's many reasons to fast. Number seven, I want to point out, number seven, the power of fasting and prayer in one accord. This is what I mean by corporate fasting and prayer. It's fasting and prayer in one accord. Now, A.T. Pearson said there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. It's a powerful statement. Never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Unity. Being in one accord. Unity can bring great evil or great blessing depending on what people unite upon. I'd like you to consider that early in human history, there was a unity that threatened the destruction of the whole world when the ungodly unified around the Tower of Babel to make them a name and raise the tower unto heaven and to have one world government. This was... At the Tower of Babylon, Genesis 11:6, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Unity can bring great evil. The people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. If you remember years later in human history, Israel lost 40 years in the wilderness. While everyone 20 and older died in the wilderness. Why? Because they unified against God. 
You ought to turn to Numbers 14. This is a powerful passage that explains why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And you see, it was their unity, their unified front against God. Did you know that if God's people will be in one accord in prayer, there's great power with God? But if God, if people unify against God, there's great wickedness and great judgment. Numbers 14, verse 1. It says it three times in two verses. And you ought to underline the words, All the congregation, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And here it is again, All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And here it is again, you ought to underline this one, The whole congregation said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we died in the wilderness? This is what resulted in their, in their dying in the wilderness, in everyone 20 and older dying, their unified front of rebellion against God. And you know there's going to come a day in the future, a great evil, when there is a unity of a one world order, when the world will follow one man, whom the Bible calls the beast. He says he has the mark of a man. He's just a man. But people will take his mark to their own destruction. And the Bible says in Revelation 16 that the spirits of devils working miracles will go forth out of these two men and, and they will bring the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The whole world against God. Again, the one world order. Unity against God brings great judgment. We're not seeking unity just for unity's sake. We're not seeking unity to accomplish some human man-made agenda or objective. We need unity of believers in seeking Jesus Christ. Seeking his face. Jonathan Edwards understood this principle of corporate prayer and fasting before before the first great awakening Jonathan Edwards wrote a famous call to the church to pray it was called it's a lengthy title an humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth. I don't know how he fit the title on the book cover. Long name, but a short purpose, to unite the church. Unite the church in prayer for revival. Jonathan Edwards understood what would happen if the church would agree together and the first great awakening that followed his writing this validated his theology. Now, uh, in a book called One Cry by Byron Paulus, One Cry, A Nationwide Call for Spiritual Awakening, there is, in the sixth chapter called Revival Realities, there's a listing of 11 different times where the people of God called out to God in corporate unity. And it closes out those six passages by saying, the author says, I can find no biblical illustration, not one, 
of God's people crying out together in humble, desperate, repentant oneness that God did not answer their prayers. He goes on and says, these verses he's just mentioned, 11 different passages, indicate a pattern and a prescription. It seems that if we will unite in one cry, God will hear and give us what we so desperately need. Again, he says, we cannot manipulate God. But doesn't the biblical pattern teach us that the very first step we must take is to cry out together to the only one who can bring deliverance? Well, this is why we're having a corporate call, a call to corporate prayer and fasting on Resurrection Sunday. I would tell you and share with you that R.A. Torrey gave an account of an amazing story of unity in a small town in his book, How to Pray. He said, up in a little town in Maine, things were pretty dead some years ago. By the way, things in Maine are still pretty dead. The churches were not accomplishing anything. There were a few godly men in the churches, and they said, here we are, only uneducated laymen, but something must be done in this town. Let us form a praying band. We will all center our prayers on one man. Who shall it be? And they picked out one of the hardest men in town, a hopeless drunk, and centered all their prayers upon him. In a week's time, the man was converted. They centered their prayers upon the next hardest man in town, R.A. Torrey says, and soon he was converted. They Then they took up another and another until within a year's time, two to almost three hundred were brought to God, and the fire spread out into all the surrounding country. Definite prayer for those in the prison house of sin is the need of the hour. Definite prayer. I want you to know that I was notified this week by an older pastor that I very much respect. And he simply invited me and 19 other churches, their Bible-believing churches, to set aside time in the current worldwide pandemic to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways and see if God will not hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. And so today, I'm calling our Berean Baptist Church family to a Sunday from now, that is, after the Sunday morning service next week, beginning at 3.30 in the afternoon, I'm inviting all who can and would to seek together God's face. At the same time, in your own homes, to begin to pray, to fast, if you believe that's what God would have you do. The 20 churches that are notified, that's including the, the gentleman who called me in his church. I believe many of those men have passed the word to other Bible-believing, fundamental, independent Baptist churches I believe there's dozens of churches that are taking this up on the great victorious Sunday of the resurrected Christ celebration. 
and are calling upon God, seeking his face at the same time, let us do it in our own homes. In four different areas we're asking to we've been asked to pray. Number one, in the area of confession of sin. Confession of sin. Number two, repentance, that's turning from our wicked ways. Number three, revival. Seeking the life of God, a closer walk with him. And number four, praying that God would end the plague. End the plague. I'm asking you to contact spiritual friends, men and women of God, to join us a week from now in the solemn seeking after God for our church, revival. For our nation, revival, repentance, and an end to this plague. Father in heaven, this is no new thing. Men and women of God have been called to fast and pray for thousands of years. But Lord, corporately, Lord, you've heard as I've called the people of God and invited them to pray and fast and seek you for on this great day, your son's celebrated resurrection day. Lord, we're asking you to do something that only you can do. Now, Father, I don't know whether it's greater glory to you to allow this to continue on or to, to cause it to cease. But we are calling out to you in humility, humbling ourselves, praying. We plan to seek your face with all of our heart. I'm asking you that you would help us as a Berean Baptist Church family that we would see the mighty God that you are do the work that only you can do for our church, for our nation, out of mercy. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. God bless you.